Smart Talk podcast, your shot of hope for the day, from Pastor Chris Smart of Hope Church Presbyterian in Tampa, Florida. Please turn to God's Word in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11. I wonder if you've ever had a significant perspective shift in life, maybe caused by having a near accident, something that's not too difficult to experience here in Tampa with the driving, but just something where you just know, maybe nothing happened, but it could have happened. It was so close to happening that you kind of pause and take a deep breath and say a quick prayer of thanks, uh, and you, you almost have a, a, a perspective shift as you realize what could have happened. Some of you, I know, you even had serious accidents in the past. Uh, how did that impact you? Did it really make you look at your life in a different way? And for some people who have gone through some major uh, treatment in hospital for a major operation, and you know that maybe nobody says it, but when you go under the anesthetic, family are concerned, maybe you won't come out. Maybe you've been concerned that you wouldn't come out, though you did. But that whole experience gave you a perspective shift as you re-examined your life. And for many people who go through these times, they do. They really re-examine so much of what they're doing today, what their plans were for tomorrow, and what the bigger picture of life is. We need that perspective shift. Some people talk of future-proofing your life, your business, by getting processes up and running in the here and now that will mean that your business, your work will be able to withstand all the changes that the future might bring. And what Paul is doing in these words is he's future-proofing our life in the here and now by wanting us to actually dwell upon the future, to think about the bigger picture. Most of us have our immediate concerns, what are you doing tomorrow morning, Monday morning? For the younger folks, it isn't school, you're delighted about that. But for the rest, it's maybe back to work, or maybe it's a vacation, and then there's some immediate plans, maybe you've even got some long-term plans. But Scripture is asking us to think very much about the ultimate future, heaven and hell, eternity, the big picture things. Why? Because it has an impact now. It'll change the way you live profoundly now. It's the the batteries uh, that allow the, the, the motor to run for transformation now. That's what the apostle is saying in these words. So, he's, he's, he's asking us, first of all, to, to really understand the times that we're living in and live in between the times of the now and the future. And then he's giving us a warning about living in the shadows and calling us to live in the light. And part of living in that light is living in the light of that day when Christ returns. Put all that together, you'll future-proof your life. So he says there in verse 11, how do you live between the times, first of all? Verse 11, do this understanding the present time, 
The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. How often do you really ever think about heaven? Maybe at a memorial service, maybe when somebody close to you dies. But for most of us, I suspect that's a perspective on our life that we that really never sees much of the light of day. Many people, and what Paul is picturing here, it's like we're spiritual couch potatoes. You know what a couch potato does? He sits on a sofa all day long with the, the curtains drawn, sitting in the dark, watching endless movies. I saw somebody bragging that during COVID they watched over a thousand movies. Surely there's better things to do with life than that. But the ultimate couch potato there, eating their chips, uh, eating the junk food, watching endless movies, maybe doing night shifts, so they're, 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 they're never out of the house during the day. Everything's closed over. It's kind of dark. It's, it's, it's a bit too lived in. It's not healthy in any way. What Paul is saying is, if you don't learn to live in between the times, you'll be like a spiritual couch potato. You'll just be sleepwalking through your Christianity instead of throwing back the curtains, walking out the door, living in the light of the day that is to come. That's what happens if a believer never gets out of their PJs. They never mature. If they never grow, if they stay in diapers, and they never focus upon the day and everything that's coming, and they never lift their eyes off this world and focus on the world that's about to come. Instead, he says, I want you to appreciate how close that world is to come. He says, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So, he's saying, wake up from your slumber because something's so much closer. What's closer? And the bigger picture is Jesus Christ returning to this world. God the Creator, He's not going to leave it in this mess forever. He's instigated D-Day 2,000 years ago when He came, lived, died, and rose again. But He's coming to bring an end to it all. But it's closer still than what happened 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years on, we're 2,000 years closer to the day that Jesus Christ will return. But more than that, Every life here is closer to the day that we will die personally. Our death is closer and closer to us with every passing day. Now, that might sound a bit too morose for you on a Sunday morning. You came to be cheered up. We're talking about death. Why do we have to do that? Because there's a wisdom in thinking about these things and of living in that reality. Any disconnect from reality is never going to be good for your life. This is the ultimate reality. Your last breath, when you're breathing, you have time to prepare for that great day. But then your last breath will come, and your preparation has gone. 
So each day you are spared to breathe is a day to prepare. And Paul here wants you to be breathing deeply as you focus upon that reality of Christ's return, or if it comes earlier, your own personal death. And that brings this whole otherworld reality closer to bear on your thinking. So much so that Paul talks here about salvation being nearer now than when we first believed, that the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, the dawn. A beautiful moment, the darkness recedes, and the light is just beginning to come over the horizon. The birds greet it with their singing. And he's saying, Christian, you live on the edge of the dawn. Your entire life is to be lived on the edge of the dawn. Don't live in the darkness. Don't live like the couch potato. Don't live wearing only your PJs. But live in the light that the day is that close to breaking. You haven't got hours and hours of darkness, but you're on the edge of that other world breaking through into your experience personally. That's how close every single one of us is to eternity. Our life is but a breath. We're dust. And the older you are, every passing decade in your life, the more shocked you are at how fast it goes. It's only the younger people here when you can live the summer vacations and it will feel like it goes on forever. But that will change. Why? Because this is true. We are on the dawn. We're living and to live our light in the face of that reality that the light is coming. And living in the dark, living at nighttime, walking in the darkness, being out at night, it's a very different experience to walking in the day. Where we lived before, there were no streetlights in the countryside. You walked out in the dark, you couldn't necessarily see where you're going. You could walk a very familiar path, but because it's dark, you don't know. You might trip over something. Walk it in the daylight, you see everything clearly. You see the dangers more clearly. We all know that. Live as on the very frontier of the day. Live in the light, he's saying. Now, all of this is a, it's a mental choice you've got to make. It's something in your will that you've got to shift the gears and say, I have to live in that understanding. You do that by making a choice. Paul puts it very graphically. It's like two sets of clothing before us in this passage. Something He wants us to put off, and something He wants us to put on. And He's saying, I want you, because the night is nearly over, I want you to put aside or to put off the deeds of darkness, the kinds of things that you could do in secret in the night, and instead put on armor the armor of the light that reflects 
the beauty that's about to break upon you in the new day. It's a choice of radically different ways of living life, like wearing two entirely different sets of clothing. One could be your PJs. The other is a suit of armor. The, the head covered, the breastplate, the greaves, the arms, a shield, everything. Back to Ephesians 6, the armor of God, all of that. And he says, I want you to be wearing that, but how many of you are wearing this, he's saying. How many of us are spiritual pygmies because we're in our PJs, rather than being spiritual warriors who realize we're in a fight? But if we live in the darkness, think in the darkness, only focus on this world, you forget the bigger picture. You're actually in a spiritual war. That's what you're called into. So you have a choice. Do you want to put off the PJs? Do you want to put on the armor? How do you do that? By living on that frontier of the dawn. And then he gives you the warning to help us do this. What it is to live in the shadows? So he's saying the old clothes are PJs. What you do at night, that's for the deeds of darkness. What you do in a bed, and the lights are off when nobody else is around seeing what you're up to. And then he gives some, some grim examples of it, but they're very real. And they're the kinds of examples that are the batteries that drive the engine room of so much in our culture today, because we live in a sex-obsessed culture where people are now identifying and defining themselves by their sexual activities. And verse 13 says, now that's living in the dark. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. It's not a particularly pleasant list, is it? Carousing, revelries, out for a wild time on a Saturday night, living only for the weekend. Some of you would have had that experience in the past. And if you were to have your mind and your memories projected on the wall, it would be very embarrassing for you right now. We may all run from the building if that was our past being projected. Some of you may have been kept from that. But what he's actually saying is that any of us could be in danger of living like that or going back to that, because this is a letter to the church. He's telling Christians, people who are following Jesus, don't go back, don't live like that. So, it's a possibility that any Christian could get sucked back or get sucked into it, particularly for our younger ones. You've maybe never been brought up like that, You've been warned about it, but first moment of freedom, first heading off to the university life, first time you're away from home, and you're straight maybe to the beer barrel. And it's always a danger. That's why he's writing this to the church. So he's saying, be careful of carousing and drunkenness. The two things so often go together, living for the weekend. And then you got the picture of sexual immorality. Literally, the word there is referring to the bed, what happens in the bed. 
And of course, if you're drunk, then what happens in the bed can happen all the more easily. Total loss of self-control. And sexually, it can shock people how, how low they can stoop. So, let it be a warning to all of us that none of us are beyond the temptation in some way, shape, or form. That You've always got to guard yourself. Then you've got debauchery mentioned. Well, how does that differ from sexual immorality? Well, sexual immorality is more what's happening in the bed. Debauchery might be more in public display, a kind of a, a lewdness of behavior. It's out there in the open that everybody can see, paraded maybe on the streets. Maybe you're not in it, maybe you're not doing it, but you could be watching it on Netflix. So, be careful that's not happening here in your heart. Then dissension, that means strife or quarreling or rivalry, often fueled by jealousy. And I'm sure people know how dangerous jealousy can be. You see it in partners so often, or spouses, where a partner just can't cope with their other half talking to anyone. And it's all fueled by this lack of self-control in the area of drink, of sex, and of social relationships. All of this he's picturing as living in your pajamas, as living as if you're only in the dark, not living in the light of the day, the day, Christ's day, the return. So, for some people who might be listening to this or watching online, you'd be thinking, oh man, you've just rubbed out all the things in my life that make it worth living. You might feel, what a killjoy this religion is. It's all about killing off our happiness, isn't it? But you couldn't be more wrong. You're just too easily satisfied if this is the kind of junk food diet you're pursuing. Maybe it's because you've never heard there's a better way and a greater joy. But the good news is the great news precisely because there is a greater joy than all of these very temporal, fleeting pleasures. And the Scripture is time and again telling us, don't binge on junk food when you could have steak. But we've got a society that wants to eat Twinkie bars when it could have steak. That's the difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes. It's not less joy. It's more joy, lasting joy, purer joy, satisfying joy that you won't find on a one-night stand. So, Paul sets up this huge contrast, pajamas or armor, because that's what Christ brings to us. Now, remember, all of this is addressed to the church, to people who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and He's warning us, put these things off. How do you put these things off? What if you've done this? What if this is your life? What if you've lived a debauched life? What if your life is full of dissension and rivalry and quarreling and sexual immorality? What if all of these things are just like a mountain load on your back right at this moment? He's saying, put it off. And that is miraculous. That is amazing opportunity right this moment. How do you do that? The Bible has a word for it. It's called repentance. 
which means a U-turn. That you turn away from those things and you find the momentum to turn because you find a much more attractive alternative to this life that God will bring, a freedom and a lasting joy, an eternal joy, that all, that all which you begin to taste in the here and in the now. So, I want to say to anybody, maybe today, right now, you've got to repent. Maybe alcohol has been too strong in your life. Maybe there's a sexual failing in your life, and it's a burden to you. Maybe you don't want it. Maybe this is making sense to you, but you're struggling because you say, I've tried, Chris, and I keep failing. There is a way, maybe a long way, but it begins maybe in this moment with the simple first step of repentance, followed maybe by many other steps, but let that be the first one today. Maybe for others, you don't need that offer of the honey of repentance quite yet, because your, your heart's still hard, and this word has to come at you like a hammer, because you're, you're, you're so in the dark, you can't actually believe there's anything wrong with all of these things. And you're saying, well, why can't I live like this? What's wrong with it? Then you need to feel the full weight of the hammer of God's Word to shatter and break your heart so that you will want to repent you're in a bad place today, if any of this is true of your life and you don't care, then that's a bad place to be. But God is speaking to you now because He wants you freed from that, and you can be. So, you can have the hammer today, or you can have the honey of that sweet forgiveness that comes through repentance and following Jesus. And then what do you do? You live not at nighttime, but in the daytime. Live in the day. And that's what He calls us to do here, putting aside the deeds of darkness, putting on the armor of light, clothing yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Before I talk about the armor and Jesus, let's just think for a moment of the mind games that we can play in the dark. Long before you ever or I ever fall into sin and do something that's clearly wrong, we've already been thinking about it, usually in our minds, planning, strategizing, if you've ever worked in recovery work with addictions, you see this constantly. The battle isn't at the moment when the deed is done. The battle is way earlier on in the thought life, in the thinking. And he's saying, don't think with pajama Christianity in the darkness. You've got to realize that you have to kill sin. We're going to see the armor. When do you need the armor? Because you're in a war. You've got to kill sin when it's small. You might have some little thing in your life. You know it's wrong. You're looking at something, you're doing something, you have an attitude, the things you read, the things you spend your money, and you know it's wrong, but you think it's only a small thing. It's not really important. But little sins are dangerous. 
You can get a mosquito with one, one bite that can give you a pretty bad disease. You could have a fire in your house, a tiny little flame, and in the right place, in the fireplace or on a candle, it's all right. But if it's in the wrong place and it gets out of control, but sin is like that. It's not even good to have a small flame of sin because it will get out of control. And it will spread. And he's calling us to here to be totally intolerant. To be so intolerant of sin. Of that which would destroy our lives or destroy the lives of other people. Destroy relationships. And it's saying, kill it before it burns your house down. Suffocate it. Swat it before it bites. Pounce on it and get it before it gets you. So he's saying, don't play the mind games. Don't see something in your life that you know for you is a temptation. And you don't look at it, you don't think about it, you don't dwell on it. Because that's like that moment when somebody knocks on the door, and you open the door and you see who it is, and you know you shouldn't invite them in, but you're standing there, hi, how are you doing, what's the weather? And you're inside, you're debating, well, maybe I should invite them in, maybe I shouldn't, oh, I shouldn't, I know it'll be bad, Len, bad. And you say, well, I, I'm, I'm in a dilemma here, just tell you what, just until I resolve the dilemma, just come into the kitchen and wait. You know, too late, they're in. That's a mind game. You've got to kill it at the door. You get rid of it. You keep the door closed to some things that you know are a weakness for yourself. And then when anything touches upon your thought life, your conscience is to act like a spider. And you know what a spider's web is like? It's so sensitive to the tiniest vibration. As soon as a temptation touches it, like a tiny fly going into the web, that spider feels the vibration and pounces and kills it off there and then. That's how to do it. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Kill it off as soon as you can. Jesus said it even more graphically. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eye, pluck it out. Your foot, cut it off. Thankfully, he didn't mean that literally, but very viscerally and very pictorially, very strong language, he's saying, cut things out of your life that will damage you and damage others. And instead, here's the alternative, finally, put something else on. Put on the armor of Christ, the armor of light. So, put your pajamas off and put Christ on because you're in a fight. The context here, Christ is our armor, our righteousness, everything that we need to withstand sin because now we've got access through Christ to the infinite joys of knowing and walking with God. One commentator in this, Tim Keller, puts it like this. He says, we are to imagine that the day has dawned and that Jesus is right before us. And then ask, now how would I behave? What is really eternally important? What 
will last forever. What would change in your day-to-day if you imagined that Jesus was right before you and you clothed yourself with Christ? You have to think like that. Then you find the access to God. Then you find you can be like Adam and Eve walking with God in the, the cool of the day again, discovering that's what you were made for. You were saved to know God to walk with God, to know His love, to hear Him, and to walk with Him. And so, Christ, who gives you that, becomes your best defense against anything that could destroy your life. Because He's given you this access, like into a bank with infinite riches, and if you were to lose your connection with Christ, not in a permanent way, but in a day-to-day, maybe for months, maybe for years, but you're out of sync with Him, you lose the access to the Father and to the joy and the light that God can bring. And when you begin to enjoy your relationship with God so much, and it's so sweet, and it's so real, then the thought of anything that would hinder that relationship with God becomes abhorrent. It's like the stronger your marriage is and the more you love your, your spouse and the deeper that bond is, the easier it is to turn away from a temptation to adultery because you know that other person would sever that sweet relationship that you have with your spouse. And just as a marriage becomes vulnerable to sin, when that marriage bond is weak and it's not drawing on each other as it should do, so spiritually with God. You become vulnerable when you're not drawing on the Father and the Son as you should. But when you are, then you discover Christ is the greatest protection against sin because of what you will experientially lose on a day-to-day basis. Christ is here today. Christ is saying, come to me. I will give you the greater joy. I will give you life. I'm calling you to be ready for war, for living in this world of darkness and sin, And I'll equip you, I'll protect you with armor so that you'll be safe, that you'll endure, that you will persevere. And you can do that through Him. And Christ is here. We even have Him symbolized today in bread and wine so that you can take the bread and take the wine and realize afresh this profound truth that you can take Christ. You can have Christ with you in your daily life, that He can feed you, He can nourish you, He can protect you. He is the armor. So, in a moment when we come to the table, ask yourself, what particular part of the armor do you need to polish a little bit brighter today? Helmet of salvation, maybe. Maybe you've not been thinking straight about the fact that you are saved and all the implications of that. Maybe it's the shield of faith. Maybe your faith is weak. So, come to the table 
and say, Christ, I, I, I ask, please renew my faith. Help me to exercise that mustard-like seed of faith of God so it becomes stronger. Help me, Lord. Whatever area it is, He is your armor. So when you come to the table, you're, you're coming into an armory. You're coming, like in the old movies, with the knights in the castles, where they can, they can get the squires to clip on the armors and tighten on the straps. So you go out into tomorrow alive, living in the light of that day, armed to the teeth. So whatever comes against you, however great the foe, however great the darkness, however great Satan might be in his power, you can withstand and stand and stand again. Amen? That's what you have in Christ. Let it be. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, Lord, we need you. Oh, how we need you. Lord, apply the honey or the hammer to our hearts right now. For we seek you in this moment. For your word tells us that on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and, and you gave thanks and you prayed. And we're doing that now. We're not really thanking you for a piece of bread and a drop of juice. We're thanking you for what they symbolize. You, Christ is in this place. We're on holy ground, not because of the building, but because of Christ, the King amongst us. We need you, Lord. We come to you like walking into an armory. We need to be equipped. You know the temptations that we'll face tonight, let alone tomorrow, or next month or next year that will make us fail and fall unless we are armed in you, equipped with you. Hear us, we pray, in your name. You have been listening to Pastor Chris Smart at Smart, sponsored by Hope Church Presbyterian in Tampa, Florida. If this message has encouraged you, please visit our website where you can leave a comment, a prayer request, or find out more information about Smart Talk. Our website is hopefortampa.com smart talk. That is H-O-P-E number four tampa.com forward slash S-M-A-R-T-A-L-K. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with friends. And join us again next time.